The air hung thick with the smell of oil burning lamps. The sun had just set on the house and shadows danced on the walls from the family that stood like statues in the middle of the great room. You could cut the tension in the room with a knife. I don't want to repeat myself, Father. Son, I just don't... Look, I'm tired of wasting my life away here with all of you. I want my inheritance. I have a right to it. It's mine. I have a right to make my own way in the world. The father stood motionless. Love and betrayal mixed in his eyes with the tears of the future his own son was proposing. He remembered when his son learned to walk. No more, more like run. He was there to catch him before he got into too much trouble. And they used to both eat dinner, spending many hours going over the trials of the day and how hard school was for his son. And the father would listen and encourage him that he believed in him. Even when he caught him stealing coins from his bedroom late one morning, he challenged him to remember who his son was. You are my child. I love you and I have great things for you. Please don't walk away from who you were made to be. Enough! Give me my share and let me be who I want to be. I will be leaving in the morning. The father leaned against the pillar to the massive home, a little more diminished and deeply, deeply saddened. He had long seen the steps of his son disappear in the dusty road in front of him. Every day he stood watching and waiting for his child to come home so he could run to him and connect once again to the child he intimately created. Now, many of you right now probably know the story that I've dramatized a little bit. It's the story of the prodigal son. I love this story. Anybody out there? I just, I love this story. It'd make a great movie. <laughs> you know, it's very dramatic. It has been? Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a great story. And I think it, it, it cuts to every single one of our hearts. It cuts to our souls. We have been in a, a series called Stuck in the Moment. And, and right now we're going to put Stuck on the Moment on pause. Because for many of you that have started to come here, you, you don't know this is still a young church. In, in, its, in its redoing of how we've been setting it up. And we've been going for about a year now. And every year we like to pause and recast what we're all about. We're going to have our church anniversary real soon. We're hoping all of you can come and join us with that. Of course we're going to eat food, because that's the cornerstone of any fellowship, right? But I'm excited because sometimes we can lose, lose sight of what we're here to do. Sometimes we can lose sight of what God has called us as a church to be. And so, today we really want to look at that first pillar. There's three pillars that hold this, this church up. And that first pillar is just connect. Connecting with the community. See, Jesus sums up all of life to loving God and loving others, connecting with God and connecting to others. See, we can't say we love God and hate others. It doesn't work that way. And you can't say, I'm connected to God, but I'm not connected to others. It just doesn't work that way. So we stand today, a year older, with the same vision. And we're asking you to partner with us so that many people outside these walls will know the love of Jesus and trust in his saving grace. 
because we focused on our mission to connect with the community. Our take-home truth, if you've got bulletins there, the the take-home truth is really simple today. It says this, true connection is found when we wear the shoes of the good news to a disconnected world around us. All right, can you please stand? We're going to, we, here at the mission, when we read God, God's word, we just love to have everybody stand in, in, in respect to that. And all I want to do is pick up where the story left off in verse 13 of Luke chapter 15. So follow along, would you? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields uh, to feed pigs. Now he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son's son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. All right, you may be seated. Such a great, great passage. I love this, like I said, I love this parable that Jesus tells. We're looking at true connection today. And, and if you've got a bulletin with you, we love to crank the blanks here as we call them, but uh, we got some blanks that we'd love to have you crank here. And, and the first one is simple. True connection is made when we see that we are at war with the Heavenly Father, or with our Heavenly Father. And why do I say that? Well, in, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture of that day, and as, as we see from Deuteronomy 21, the oldest son, if, if, if a father had sons, what they would do is they'd take the oldest son, and that oldest son would get two-thirds of all the inheritance. Now that rest, the one-third, would go to the rest of the sons. Let's say you had 12 sons in your family. <laughs> You'd want to be the, 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 the oldest, but as the 11 others, you would separate the one-third between all of you. And so it was the best thing to be the, the firstborn. So here we have this not firstborn. He comes to his dad in this culture, and he says... Give me, your, give me my inheritance, my one-third of what's, what's due. Now see, back in that day, you didn't have the Bank of Jerusalem either. You, you just didn't have, well, he didn't pull out his wallet and had, you know, maybe David on a 20-note, right? Abraham is on the 100, he's got the seat. No, it wasn't like that. They didn't have that kind of setup. In that day, if you had wealth, it was in what you had. It was in your livestock. It was in your land. It was in your house. It was in your clothing. So, what the son is proposing is crazy. It's like what he's saying is, hey dad, I want my inheritance, so what I want you to do is sell off a third of all your stuff. Imagine that. The dad would have to go through his livestock and say, okay, a third, boom. 
My land, a third, boom. All the things in my house, a third of it, boom. It's literally in that culture. To do that at that time was like going up to your father and saying, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. I'm gone. And slapping him in the face. It was like declaring war. And the audience at that time would have gotten that. They would have been like, what? What is this son doing? In fact, the father had every right to take his left hand, slap him in the face, drag him out to the city gates where the elders and many of the other people would take up big stones and throw it at the son until he was dead. So why do I tell you this? I mean, what does this story highlight here? See, the truth is what Jesus is doing in this story is showing that we are all disconnected from God. Because of the garden and Adam and Eve and what they did so many, 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 many years ago, we slapped God and said, we don't want you. We want our own. Give me what's mine and I'll make my own way. And very much this is what Jesus is showing out that we declared war many years ago. Maybe you have felt this disconnection, but you've never acknowledged this war between you and God. This is the idea of what the Bible says is sin. See, this is the good news. I love the good news. The good news of this war aspect is that Jesus' blood was used to sign the peace treaty. Amen? It was used to sign that his blood on the cross was what the ink was used to pen this this peace treaty between us and God. But we will never connect with our Heavenly Father unless we acknowledge that war. That's that first part. The other thing that this story shows us is that true connection is made when we see that we are wanderers from home. See, we're not only at war, but we're wanderers. See, verse 13, look at this with me. He says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. See, it's interesting here because, again, a lot of this is steeped in that Jewish understanding. See, that distant country was more than just, hey, he's going to go off. It's kind of like spring break. They get far enough away where no one will see what they're doing. You know, it's like the river, right? Everybody's heard stories of the river, right? Oh, my gosh, what's going on over there? It's far enough away where you can kind of get away with it, except now today we have cameras on our cell phones and that makes really bad YouTube things going on, you know. But anyway, I mean, so there's this idea of this distant country. But see, back then, your town, was all you knew. See, you could, see, how many of you travel 30, 40 miles sometimes just to go to work? To go visit people? 50, 60 miles? That was unheard of then. It was unheard of. In fact, if you wanted safety, you had to be in the town. Because many towns had like walls around them from the animals, from the robbers, from many different things. Marauders. And so just to pack up and leave literally meant you're never coming back. If you left, you're not coming back. And so this whole idea of what this son is doing is similar to what God called Abram to do before he became Abraham. And if you remember, he was a, a, it called him a wandering Chaldean. He was from Ur. It was this distant land in Persia. And God calls him one day in his discontentment, in his disconnection from God. God says, go, I'm going to take you somewhere. And don't look back. Because you're never coming back. You're going. And it was a final thing. The Israelites, when they were called out of Egypt, don't look back. You're going to a new place. 
And this is that concept. Except the son is not going because God, the father, is telling him to go. He's going because I've had enough. And I want to completely disconnect with you. He's a wanderer who's been disconnected. And we will never realize our disconnection until we understand how much we've wandered. Third, our wandering from God always winds up in us in slavery. See, it says here in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. That, that idea is, I mean, he was dirt poor. I mean, he had nothing. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. That's also another word. It's literally he became a slave because he had nothing. See, he's homeless, he's peopleless, he's penniless. And, and, and Jesus' audience would have fainted from the, from the idea of him hiring, hiring himself out to a Gentile first and then feeding pigs second. See, in that culture, it basically meant if you went to work for a Gentile, you were no longer a Jew. See, you, you, he didn't just say, okay, I'm leaving, I'm never coming back, but he also took his whole heritage and he just dumped it by the roadside. Because if you didn't have a culture, you didn't have a people, you had nothing. He's basically traded freedom for slavery. And wandering always winds up in slavery. See, true connection is made when we see our want for close community. I will set out, he says, as he realizes he's sitting there in the, in, in the depths, he's longing to eat the pods from the pigs. You guys ever seen what pigs eat? I had a buddy of mine, by the way. He had a 600-pound pig, and he was a great guy. This guy was awesome. He used to wrestle the pig. He was 6'6", 300-pound man, beast of a man. And he would wrestle this thing. I'm like, you are a nut. I mean, the pig had tusks. It was just dirty. I mean, oh. And he would just feed it anything. You know, and the pig would just grow, 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 and grow, and grow. He called it his uh, Armageddon insurance. <laughs> End of the world zombie insurance. You know, if the power gets cut off, I can always kill the pig and we can eat for a while. Make jerky, you know. But man, you'd look at the pig pen and it was filled with poop and, and just the, the food that left over and they just eat anything. I mean, I'm sorry, it's just gross. And he's in there, in the mud with the, with the excrement and the slop and he's looking at it, longing at it. I mean, longing for that. Because he's so hungry. That's when he wakes up. It's just a separate thing real quick. It's when we're at our lowest that God shows up the biggest. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to come to Jesus and I've got all this to offer and I've got so much and I've, look at me, look at me. Like I got, and it's like, you know what? God says, that's all fine and dandy, but let me just level you for a minute. <laughs> And we don't realize how much we need Him until we realize how much we need Him. And that's what we see here. He says, I will set up, set out and go back to my Father and say to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. See, what we see in this passage is that sin doesn't just disconnect us from God. It also disconnects us from each other. See, that's why He's very purposeful about saying, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against the true God. What God has set up but then I've also, because of that, sinned against people around me. Again, I've referenced it earlier, but the Apostle John points this out. You can't say you love God and hate somebody else. It just doesn't work. 
And Jesus very clearly says, you, it's all about loving God. It's all about loving Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you've got to love others as yourself. One isn't greater than the other. And yet, how many times do we disconnect that? We just disconnect that. And, and when God is really saying, hey, it's about connecting to me and it's also about connecting to others, we say, I'm fine with you, God, but my uncle is a weirdo. And I am not going to disconnect. Or that guy at school, or that person at work. And you see, it may make it very easy. We put up these boundaries around it, don't we? See, but Jesus is very, uh, very specific. In, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, he does this great thing. He says, oh, by the way, when you come to the Father and you go to make a sacrifice, you're basically trying to say, I want to connect with you. It's the peace offering he's talking about. And he says, you know, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to make this peace offering. He says, if you realize right then and there, as you're standing there, which took days to prepare for this whole offering, and you realize that, oh, someone has something against you. You are disconnected from somebody. You drop what you're doing and you go to that person. Because I've called you to a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of peace. Paul loves to talk about the connection we have in Jesus. And now, because of that, the connection we have with each other. See, when I came back to the Lord, I was a prodigal to some extent. I did a lot of dumb things. I, was, <laughs> I had such a great opportunity. I met with a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen him for a long time. I went to high school with him, went to junior high with him. We used to hang out. We did a lot of bad things together. He's one of those friends that seen me do bad things and good things. You know what I mean? And it's so cool to sit down with him now because he's, he's a believer in the Lord. And he's got a family and we're talking about stuff and great things, but we're also talking about how we're connected to God. And, and you know, the, the thing is, we, one of the things we were talking about was it was easy for me to realize that, you know what, I had done dumb things, I'd blown it, I had gone off and done stupid stuff. Okay, God, I've been stupid. It was easy for me to admit that. But it was a whole other story to go and live with my brother and live with my mom and say, I'm sorry to you. I was disconnected from you. You know, I, I showed up at those family things high as a kite. You know, when I did this over here, I was really trying to do this, and I'm sorry. That's hard. But that's what this guy gets. He gets that. It's not just God. It's others as well. This is why, if you're, if you're writing notes again, ultimate love connects. True love connects. And sin causes separation and isolation. You see, if we're separating ourselves, we're isolating ourselves then we're not really loving and connecting. See, we know we are in connection with God when we want to connect with others. Now, this next part, God is always at work seeking to connect us back to Him. God is always at work. Now, I love this passage here. It says, but while He was still a long way off, like you could barely see that's how far off it is in the understanding of the language here. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, this just seems like, man, he's really excited. But there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I just want to unpack this very quickly. You see, the, the father sees the son way out there. Why? Because he's actually waiting and watching and waiting for him. He's daily at work setting up a time where he's like, I'm going to watch for my son. This wasn't just some random moment. See, the, the audience would have got this at the time that, wow, his son was actually looking for him. His, the, the, or his dad was actually looking for him. The dad never gave up on the son who cold, totally gave up on the, the, the dad. 
This dad was looking to reconnect constantly. God is always at work in each and every one of us to connect with us. Amen? And the same goes for the people you work with, the people you go to, to, to play practice with, to, to play baseball with, to you see on the freeway that cuts you off. He's at work in them too. He's even at work at the DMV. <laughs> Things are going on here too. See, the father runs. Why does he run? Well, first of all, we could say, because he's excited. No. A, a, a Middle Eastern patriarch of that day never, ever, ever ran. Especially a rich man. It would diminish you. It would make you look poor. It would make you look bad. It was all about respect and honor in the community. And yet he picks up his robes, which aren't designed for running. I don't know if you know this, but the first Olympics, they ran naked because the clothes of that day didn't work for running. I know, gross, right? It's a bad thought. Sorry to bring it to you, but that's the truth. <laughs> they practiced games that way. Because the clothes in that day weren't the, you know, the ultra spandex tight stuff that we can do the things we do in today. This, these robes were very nice, very comfortable, but man, they, they weren't appropriate for running. And so he had to lift them up and you could see his knees. <gasps> Everybody seeing this would have been like, what the? Is he doing what I think he's doing? Oh, he is done. And he's got sandals on. You don't run in sandals. These weren't like Tevas, people. You know, they weren't set for running. These were, yeah. We also need to understand two things I want to point out very quickly. He's running to get to the sun first. Because in that culture, you had to go through the town gate to get into the town. And you know who sat at the town gate? The judges, the elders, the people that would have known that this son had wronged his father. And before his father could get to him, they would have gotten up, grabbed a clay pot. They would have done two things. They would have grabbed a clay pot, thrown it and smashed it at his feet. Secondly, they would have grabbed him and put him before the, the town gate to stone him because this was what was appropriate. And how dare you do this to your, to your father? But the father runs to him, grabs him. And a part of the son might be thinking, oh, here it comes. Because the father should grab him and take him to the city gates and then stone him. And how dare you? But he grabs him and he kisses him. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to show everybody around that I forgive him. I forgive him. And then he does something very, very interesting. He takes off his own shoes and gives them to the son. This is an interesting thing. You could always tell how well off people were by their shoes. I mean, when I was a kid, it was that way too. My parents would take me to Costco to buy court classics. You know, $14 court classics. Where my friends would have, you know, the $150 Nike Airs and I would drool over them. But you know, it was, it's the same in that day, but even more so. In fact, if you had those shoes, you were considered wealthy. If you didn't have shoes, in fact, everybody that didn't have shoes was considered a slave. Don't miss this. See, the father gives the son his shoes and walks back to the house through the town without shoes on. And the son, who was the slave is now reconnected to the father who became a slave. 
This is huge. This is huge. Let me show you something here. I got a bag of shoes. I know I'm weird. I like objects. All right. I got these from my brother when I was a sophomore in high school. And these are my snowshoes. They worked really well when it would snow where we lived up in Wrightwood every year. And I would walk to get the mail or go outside to shovel snow. And these work great because they've got these little thermal things inside. and They keep my feet warm and everything else. Now, when I work outside, which I don't do enough of, but I'd like to, these are my work boots. And they've got the steel toe and, you know, all that good stuff. And, and, then, and then here's here's some good ones. These are my slippers, which I find myself more in nowadays than anything else. One time I actually came to preach in my slippers when we lived up in the high desert. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. And I forgot my shoes and I was wearing my slippers. I was like, oh, man. And I honestly felt like, I can't preach today. I'm wearing slippers. So, you know... Um, when, when we went to Hawaii recently, which was amazing because I'd never been, these are what I wore all the time. Because, you know, they were just, yeah, my sandals, man. And sometimes, don't, don't tell my kids, I'm a little nerdy, I wear socks and sandals, but it works out. <laughs> the, these, these are my, when I go fishing, you know, and these were also uh, some work boots that, I, boots that I used to have, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Because, um, let me ask you a question, like me, have you ever, you ever worn shoes that didn't work out? In the situation you were in? Yeah. I think we've all been there. Um, I, I one time had a job. Worked for the city of Victorville. I haven't had a lot of jobs. If you ever want to hear about them, just talk to me. I've had over 50 jobs. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of interesting jobs. I was a maintenance floor worker, sewer worker for the city of Victorville. We used to go to a place where 8 million gallons of sewer was coming through every day, 24 hours a day, into the sewage treatment plant at the end and down there. Really nasty. Um, and, and, and I remember one day we came in and it was, it was a weird day. It was one of those that had stormed and rained and it broke a 10-inch clay sewer pipe in the desert on a hill going down. And we had to fix it. And the, the, our boss at the time said, you make sure you suit up. You bring your good shoes. And believe me, I'm glad I did because I was wading in it. There was over a million gallons of sewer that was coming out. And I was this high in sewer trying to fix a pipe. It wasn't fun. But let's imagine I was like, hey! <laughs> By the way, you would be, well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised what people flush down the toilet. Because <laughs> I probably would have gotten stuck with something. You see, why do I bring this up? I, the, the truth is, we have a father who sent his son to go shoeless as a slave so that we might wear his shoes. His shoes. Not just to be connected to the Father in heaven again, but to wear the right shoes wherever we go. You see, when we accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we are given peace. We're no longer at war, and we're in the family of God, and we're given the right shoes. God is running to embrace us. And He's running to embrace. He's looking out constantly at the people around us. And He's waiting to give them the shoes. Which is, I just want to point this out real quick. Lastly, true connection is found when we wear the shoes of the good news to the disconnected world around us. See, this is what Paul points out. I love the book of Ephesians. And, and, you know, in the book of Ephesians, he talks about the armor of God. And he talks about, like, that, 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 that center plate, the breastplate of righteousness. 
He talks about the belt of truth. But next he says this weird thing. He says, if you, if you, I'll give it for your old uh, King James Version. You'll shod your feet with the gospel of peace. In, in another thing it says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. You see, Paul is outlining something that he gets from this whole parable. That the Father has given us shoes, Christ's shoes, not only to say, hey, we are daughters of the King. We are sons of the King. But we're also connectors in our community. See, Christianity is about wearing the good news of Jesus wherever we go, introverts and extroverts. (laughs) So the problem is many of us show up wearing the wrong shoes, wearing shoes at work that make it all about, well, me, and not the fact that God has you at that job to be a connector wearing the shoes of the good news to the people in your workplace. That God wants you to wear the shoes of good news to your neighbors this week. I heard this crazy story. I'm just going to say it real quick. There was this great story. I, I, we have a friend, uh, um, uh, Mervyn and Helen. She's from, from Singapore, and he's from Trinidad, and they're the most unlikely couple, and they're so great. It's, I love it. We, we do prayer groups with them, and they're missionaries. They go all over the world and stuff. But you know what's crazy? Is, is they wear the gospel of peace when they go home, too. And in their community. And we were over there just hanging out with them. And a neighbor had come over and said, Hey, thank you for the soup that you brought us uh, uh, to my dad the other day. It was great and blah, blah, blah. Well, he ended up coming back after we left. And guess what? They just started talking to him and saying, Hey, did you know these shoes that we wear? The reason we do what we do? And, and that, that guy heard about Jesus. Just because they were willing to wear the shoes of the gospel of peace with their neighbors. When you're sitting at the DMV... And looking at your watch for the 40th time. Remember that Jesus gave you his shoes of peace to bring to those around you in that very moment. In that next really big family blow up, or that fight that seems to fill the house with chaos and anger, remember that your father gave you his shoes of the good news to walk into that situation and represent him to connect others to his love and truth. Dropping the kids off at school, sitting in a meeting, waiting in line at the pharmacy. What shoes are you wearing? (coughs) Who's God sending you to? I just want you to do me a favor. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. See, there are many people in this world that are wandering and at war with God. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe the reason you feel that disconnection is because you're shoeless. You didn't know that Jesus took off his shoes, walked as a slave so that you can have his. Today's the day to put on his shoes and be at peace. Secondly, will you be the ones that wear the shoes of the good news to the people around you this week. This is our mission. I'll just fill you in on something real quickly while your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed. You know the number one reason people come to Jesus is someone talks to them. Someone loves on them. Someone says, Hey, have you heard what my shoeless Savior did for you? Lord, we thank you 
We thank you for the fact that you have gone shoeless for us. That you have... You ran to us. We deserved punishment. And yet, you saved us. You you put your arms around us and you kissed us, you embraced us, and you made us one of the family again. Lord, may we just be mindful of the fact... Every day is an opportunity to share this truth and to connect with those around us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters and I just pray that you would give them a plan. You would give them a burden to not only connect with you but connect with those in their community. I bless them in the name of Jesus. We pray these things.